Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe. I am deep inside the recesses of Four Stream Studio with my co-hosts and friends, Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. You know what? It is great to be here with all of us. All of us. together. Jonathan, you were out of town last week. Back together again. That's right. Where were you, Jonathan? Getting the band back together. I was getting a suntan. Down in oh, Gulf yeah? Shores. Yeah, the family went on a little beach vacation where we didn't really go to the beach. <laughs> it yeah, was fun. Double red flag all week long. Uh, super yeah. windy, so it felt like a sandstorm if you went down to the beach. But it's okay. We uh, we stayed on the lagoon side, so we did a lot of fishing uh, oh, in the lagoon. Yeah. And, did you catch anything? Uh, we did. We did. You know, had some fun catching some fish and were able to catch and eat some trout. And yeah. Wow. So it, it it was it was a really great week. It really was. It just wasn't your t- typical like it was a weird beach week, if that makes sense. Yeah, didn't yeah, feel like the normal sense. beach thing. But but we had a great time. So but it's good to be back. See you guys' faces. I was sad. I missed uh I missed Jay last week, but I listened oh, to it. Was excellent. And, yeah, it was fantastic. It was excellent. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Brad, uh, do you have any Memorial Day plans coming up? We got Memorial Day this Monday. Got big plans. Do you? No, I don't have any plans. Do you all have any plans? <laughs> is Memorial Day, is is it the one where Birmingham does the big parade? Or has in the past? Is that There's is a Veterans Day parade. Veterans Day. Does. I knew it was either Memorial oh. Day or Veterans Day. I couldn't remember. So, never mind. I don't, no. think, I don't think we have any plans. I don't think we do either. John Mark, what about you? It's clearly uh, on the mind. Ashley's dad and stepmom are driving down from Cleveland. Ohio, Ohio. Wow. Yeah, Drew, Drew Carey show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're driving down from Cleveland. And they're going to be staying with us all week next week. So they're coming down on Saturday. My parents have a swimming pool, um, which is always Mm -hmm. very handy and helpful during the hot summer days that we encounter. It's in the 90s. We do. We we have a heat wave going on right now. Yeah. I know. It sounds crazy to say, like having a heat wave in Alabama, but it's true. We're like breaking (laughs) records right now. We're we're above temperature seasonally. But, anyways. Awesome. So we're probably going to go over to my parents' house on Memorial Day and eat some barbecue and swim and just hang out. Well, that is lovely. Yeah, yeah, just enjoy the day off. So it's going to be great. Well, good. Um, well, I guess let's get to JM's Album of the Week, yeah? JM's Album of the Week. So I was going back and forth. There were two albums that I was going back and forth on, and this is what I've landed on for this week. Mm. Um, on Monday night, well, really on Monday mm. was Bob Dylan's birthday. He turned 80 this year. Wow. Bobby D. Bobby. Wow. Robert Zimmerman. He turned 80 years old. So when I got home that night, I was going through Netflix and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and rewatch Martin Scorsese's doc- documentary on a tour that Dylan did in uh, the 70s called The Rolling Thunder Review. Mm. And um, it's a great documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's available on Netflix. That's a fantastic name for a tour. Just got to yeah. say. It's pretty strong. Well, and it was, so it was in 1976, which was the, which was America's uh, bicentennial, I believe. 1976, yeah, 1776. Yeah. Um, so they started the tour actually in Plymouth Rock, which is really cool, and nobody goes to Plymouth to play a show, let alone like somebody like Bob Dylan, who was just selling out like arenas the year before. So, anyways, the documentary is amazing. It's really good, and there's an album 
um, that coincides with the release of that documentary, and you can find it on Spotify. It's called Bob Dylan, The Rolling Thunder uh, Review, and these are some live recordings. It's like a sampler um, from the tour, and so you can just hear a couple of these songs. Here, let me play you one real quick. Man, let me tell you, when you watch this documentary and then you listen to these songs, the intensity of Bob Dylan on stage during this tour in particular, this era... It's, he's almost like a punk rock singer. Like he's just spitting wow. out these lyrics. And a lot of these songs sound completely different than the way they do on the album versions because live he has this massive band. He's got like three electric guitar players, a percussionist, a drummer, a violinist, a couple of acoustic players. Like he's just got this massive band and they are just rocking out wow. the entire time wow. and they've got face paint on sometimes they're wearing masks like it's this whole sort of like carnival show idea that they had going on with this tour so you got to go watch that have you seen the documentary brad i haven't well i had Bro. a question yeah that i wanted to ask okay say that you're someone that's never really listened to bob dylan which is definitely not me <laughs> but say that there's someone that's listening that hasn't yeah, yeah. where where should they start well, that's where a great should they begin? So if they're, if they're curious. So I I'm 33 years old and you're taking me back to when I was about 17 or 18. Mm. And this was when I got into Bob Dylan at that age. OK. And so I dove in and this was also back when you could e- illegally download music. I mean, I assume that you still can. I don't anymore, <laughs> but I did at the time. And I downloaded the entire Bob Dylan discography. Um, and so I just started going through it. Album so by album. How many songs is that? Oh, it was like 60 albums or something crazy like that. It was something just completely absurd. Sorry, Bob. So I also, well, I, you know, I've bought a lot of his records since then. Oh, yeah, and of course. I stream all this stuff, and I've seen him twice in concert. Cool. But, uh, so I've definitely, I feel like I've supported him for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I also read a, a lot of books on Dylan. I just completely dove in like 100%. So I would say go back to the 60s, start with his folk music, and just kind of take the journey with him because he changes throughout his career. He goes electric guitar in the mid-60s. He does, there's a record that he does in Nashville that's more like country-based called Nashville Skyline. Um, he, he just has so many different variations. He got... He got saved in the late 70s by going to vineyard churches, um, kind of the Jesus movement era. And so he has a couple of gospel records. I mean, you know, yeah, so it's much. Just, he just has so much material. It's really hard to like say one thing, but uh, Highway 61 Revisited is a great record. Um, Blonde on Blonde, Blood on the Tracks, Oh Mercy. All those are great. Okay, so, so if you had to name one. What kind of mood are you in? What do you want to hear? Just I'm looking for a place to start. Yeah, but what do you want to hear, though? Do you want to hear hear rock and roll? Do you want to hear folk? Yeah, rock and roll. If you want to hear rock and roll, uh, start with Highway 61 Revisited. Okay. Okay. That's about album number... Not me, but the person that's never listened to it. That's about album five or six in his career, and that's when he went to Electric and everyone got really angry at him. Uh, The song Like a Rolling Stone is on that record, so... That's fun. 
Ladies so, and gentlemen, yeah. I just need to point out that John Mark just named all of those albums with nothing in front of him, and he also said that Highway 61 is like Dylan's fifth or sixth album without anything in front of him. I'm staring at Apple Music, and according to Apple Music, it is album number six. That's just how ridiculous this is right now. I just need to point that it's out. Crazy. Okay. But uh, if you what, wanna, what was what the name of what was the name of the original album you were recommending this week? Uh, it's it's like a little sampler that they put out in 2019, and it's called the Rolling Thunder Review, the 1975 live recordings. It's a sampler. Um, the documentary that I was talking about was actually, I guess, like the se- 1976 portion of the tour. Uh, but this is kind of the same era uh, with this band that he had, and uh, Martin Scorsese uh, directed that documentary. I think I I don't know if I mentioned that, but it's excellent. So. Wow. There's a little film and some music for you. Wow, very impressive. So happy birthday, Bob. There you go. Well, Brad, um, what do you have for Bradford's book club this week? Well, this week we're doing a mashup between Bradford's book club and the email corridor. I feel like in post-production, you need to put a ridiculous amount of reverb on the organ music to where it just becomes obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. Email corridor. Because the organ is being played inside the <laughs> in, corridor yes. where all the yes. emails are stored. That's right. Okay, so go ahead. Many, so many different levels. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Bradford. So we got an email from Mason Hicks. I Literally before we started recording this Right before this podcast, we started. So it's providential. And I, in passing, had made a joke that he should send in a book for Bradford's book club. He commented on the introduction. So it seems like people talk more about the jingles than anything else on this podcast. <laughs> At least they're getting something so, from it. So, yeah. I don't know how to interpret that. but we, we know what they're here for. Yeah, that's good. So Mason recommended a book. And so I've gone to my team and we've approved it. So good. I'm going to read the email and it's going to be our book for the week. So the email starts, felicitations. What did you just say? Felicity? Felicitations. Feliz Navidad? I'm I'm not sure. When I clicked define on my iPad, it said congratulations. So we got to keep going. Yeah. Anyway, Mason wrote, I have been duly solicited for the purpose of endorsing a commendable work by a distinguished author on account of our Lord Bradford himself. (laughs) What doth follow is my counsel. I recommend the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Oh, a book about marital divorce. Very interesting. I was actually about to say, which is not a book about divorce, ironically. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. As to be expected, Lewis excels at conveying theology through story, and this work stands out as an insightful observation on the distinct natures of heaven and hell. The book is mainly told in the form of an allegory, and so should not be read as a strict theological treatise. The story is set up to be the vehicle for the theology. My only critique. Wow, critiquing Lewis on the podcast. He's he's nothing if he's not gutsy, pretty, that old Mason. Pretty bold. Ooh. 
My only critique is that it does not emphasize the new creation in a way I would prefer, but it again largely does this to foreground the stark difference between the concepts of heaven and hell, the divorce between them, which is the overriding theme throughout the book. So I can concur that The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis is definitely a book to pick up and read and to think through. C.S. Lewis, as always, is thought-provoking and gives you imagery that will stir your imaginations and your heart and lead you to theological reflection. So good job, Mason. Yes. Thank you, Mason. The The book, it it is it's super interesting. What, what's fun for me is I often, when it comes to uh, nonfiction, works. Mm-hmm. I don't like to know anything going into a nonfiction work. Like I don't, I don't read the backs or the inside flaps. I just go on the recommendation of, of people. Yeah, uh, yeah. I totally judge books by their cover. Um, but so I picked up the great divorce, not knowing anything. <laughs> like I didn't know it was about like, it was this kind of allegorical reflection on heaven and hell and all that. And I was so confused. I can only for imagine so long. <laughs> But once once you realize what Lewis is doing, um, it's it's really brilliant. And even if you don't agree with everything or all the ways Lewis comes at stuff, he's as always very insightful, very thought provoking, and just has some really beautiful uh, moments and descriptions, and also really horrifying uh, yeah. descriptions that that really make you yeah make you think. No doubt. Real quick, do you guys have a favorite C.S. Lewis book? I definitely do. I know mine off the top of my Go, head. Go, Jonathan. Till We Have Faces. Um, so Till We Have Faces is a nonfiction work. So one of the unique things about Lewis as an author is Lewis wrote in a ridiculous number of genres. I mean, he wrote poetry and children's literature and nonfiction novels. And he wrote l- medieval literary research. And I mean, just it's all over the place. So this is uh, a nonfiction work, and it is a retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche. And so what he's basically doing is he's taking this myth, and he's retelling it from uh, another character's perspective, and kind of doing this whole, you've always heard the myth of Cupid and Psyche. Well, here's the way it really went down. Kind of th- th- Think mm-hmm. of it like uh, what Disney has done with their villains in the live-action movies, like uh, Maleficent, what they're doing with the Cruella Deville movie, what w- yeah. the play Wicked does. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that whole framework. So what I do suggest to people is if you're not familiar with the myth of Cupid and Psyche, just go read the Wikipedia entry on Cupid and Psyche mm-hmm. just so you know what the, the story is traditionally yep. because then you're able to see what Lewis is doing, what he's changing and all that. And it was one of the strangest books I ever read. And the entire time I read it, I kept telling myself, there's no reason I should like this. Like, based on the type of literature I like to read, there's no reason. But I could not stop. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah, I want to go back and check that out again. It's super weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Space Trilogy is also fantastic. Oh, yeah. More weird. Very (laughs) weird. But but great. (laughs) Brad, do you have a favorite Lewis book? I, I have to be honest and say that I haven't read a ton of Lewis. Yeah. But for me... It's uh, I I love Mere Christianity and Screw Tape Letters. Yeah, I haven't read a lot of Lewis either, but Screw Tape Letters is probably my favorite mm-hmm. for sure. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, yeah, thank you, stuff. Mason, for writing in. So we basically just recommended the entire C.S. Lewis corpus. Just go read right. it. <laughs> Those movies he did, the Narnia movies. Oh wow, I mean, he's a great director too. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Mason, thanks for writing in to us. We really appreciate it. If anybody else wants to email, please email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org. We'd love to hear your thoughts on any number of 
issues yeah. or yeah, subjects. Yeah, yeah. And really, totally. a, we're all about community here. Tell us, our, tell us why you don't like the podcast. Tell us why you love it. Totally. Or why you're ambivalent about it. Right. At the end of the day, we're asking you to email us to, to beef up our self-esteem. That's really what this yes. is about. Actually, I, I will say that. Hey, I will say this. I saw Bill Ferris yesterday briefly while we were walking. Me and Brad were walking to Seeds Coffee to get some coffee. And he said, Hey, I just uh, got done listening to Shay's episode of Midweek. It was really great. And he was like, I know I don't ever write in to you guys, but just wanted to say that you guys are doing a great job with the podcast. So wow. thought that was nice. Yeah, that's lovely. Okay. Well, what are we doing today? What's happening? Well, uh, today we're going to finish. <laughs> The, the conversation we started uh, the last time I was here. So, listeners, you may remember from two weeks ago, uh, we recorded an episode entitled Political Idolatry. And at the beginning of the episode, I said that we had two things that we were going to discuss. Political idolatry and cult of personality. We only had time to get to one because we enjoyed the conversation so much. Yeah, just, we got a little fired just, up. Yeah, we, we did. We did. We got a little yeah. distracted, chased some rabbits. It was yeah, great. It was good, though. Um. But so we're going to tackle the other part of that. And just if you didn't listen to that episode, uh, here's all you need to know. Um, the, the, the setup for this is that after the Capitol riot on January 6th, the Sunday after that, I made some comments about that in my uh, sermon, right at the beginning of my sermon. And I had intended to flesh those comments out some more in the midweek episode later that week. Uh, due to technical difficulties, we lost that recording, and we're just now getting back around to recording it. So the way I'm going to start this is actually by reading the quote from that sermon about cult of personality that I want to flesh out a little bit more. Mm, yeah. So here's the quote. I said this. Claiming to worship Christ, many are caught up in a cult of our president's personality. Of course, our then president was Donald Trump. And so mm. claiming to worship Christ, and, and, and I said this because, you know, it, it's everybody knows like the Capitol riots, there was a lot of like Christian iconography, like yeah. mixed in amongst all sorts mm-hmm. of other symbolism, a lot of white supremacist symbolism and rebel flags and this, that, and the other. There were also, cro- there was a place where a cross and a noose were erected, like basically really close to one another. Yep. Bibles um, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I love Jesus, all of these kinds of things. And so I'm not trying to make any kind of blanket statement about every single person that went to the rally or feels a certain way or this, that, or the other. But what I am trying to say is that there are many, many who claiming to worship Christ are caught up in a cult of our president's personality. And I just wanted to flesh out a little bit more uh, what I mean and what uh, what I think is a generally accepted kind of uh, notion of, of a cult of personality. What is that? When we say that, because because we're not say I did I did get a question after I made that comment uh, I did get a question mm. if I was saying that I thought people were involved involved in a cult oh. and and one of the things that uh, I, I tried to distinguish for them is like cult of personality uh, is not saying we have we're dealing with a cult proper uh, and that's the reason for the terminology cult of personality what it's saying is that followers of a particular person of a particular personality display some cult-like things. There are things that you would normally associate with the behavior of the followers of a cult leader that are showing up here. And so it may not have all the formal trappings of a cult. Like there may Mm -hmm. not be religious dogma and doctrine. They may not be moving away and forming a 
a compound, you know, somewhere in Texas or what what was the state? Montana. Uh, Oregon. Oregon. Oregon, the wild, wild country. Um, Woo. <laughs> oh, that's a ride. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and maybe we will do a podcast episode in the future on cults proper. I think that would be great. <laughs> um, and distinguishing between cults and religion and, and all of these kinds of things. Totally. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a cult of personality. Um and, and a cult of personality is very similar to everything we talked about with political idolatry, but it's, it's even more focused. Political idolatry tends to be broad. It's attached to a party. It's attached to a platform. It's attached to policies, these kind of more broad things. Uh, cult of personality is more focused. It's, it's coming in and centering on a very specific person, figurehead, leader. And, and it's actually even more threatening to both our faith as Christians and a cult of personality is more threatening to our form of government as a republic that values ordered liberty. Um, and so I just, in the same way that I gave kind of, here are three markers of uh, political idolatry. I wanted to give here are three markers of when you're entering into a cult of personality. Because what, what I'm not saying is you, you're not allowed to like a leader. Mm. You're not allowed to be a fan of a leader. You're not allowed to prefer a leader. You're not, you know, you're not allowed to follow a leader or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. not saying any of that. Right. Or be part of a political party or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how do we know? And we can, um, obviously, I was talking about this originally in the context of politics, and, and that's what most of my comments that I've got sketched out in front of me are about. But we can broaden this as well, because this happens in many other spheres besides politics. Mm-hmm. You have cults of personality. Around religious leaders, pastors, preachers, teachers, authors, uh, worship leaders, singers, songwriters, mm-hmm. uh, secular celebrities, whatever. Like yeah. it, it develops all over the place. But so, so three kind of defining markers. Number one. I'm a I had to play it at some I point. I was not you, you weren't. You were, you weren't giving me an, an open, so Sorry, I took it. You, you, didn't wait, you didn't wave at me. Oh, my word. I just had a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I need to go to the bathroom real quick. I had to be right had, back. Here okay. we go. All now right. we can dive in oh, okay. to cults of personality. Oh, I'd completely forgotten that you wanted to play that clip. Yeah. That was, I'm definitely glad you included that, though. Oh, my word. Okay. All right, here we go. Three markers, Jonathan, you said. I'm, I'm collecting yeah, Three myself. markers. All right, so number one, uh, the hope of salvation becomes attached to a specific individual. Thus, that person must remain in power. So it's no longer even about, like when within the realm of politics, it's no longer even about I want my party to stay in power. I want my policies to continue to be in, enforced. It's, no, this specific person, they are the key. They are the hope. It is tied solely to that. You begin to view them as a, as a type of savior. Yeah. And this is when you're entering it. And, and that's why it takes yeah. on some of those cult-like uh, characteristics. Yep. And, and this God is, is accomplishing his purposes through this individual, through this person. And, and can't in any other way. Right. right. It's behind them. Right. Yes. And, and this is why people will even potentially get violent to, for a leader like this. And right. to keep a leader, a specific person, you know, in power mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, when when all of your hope becomes attached to a singular individual, 
that's yep. that's marker number one. And I would say in Christian circles, people wouldn't necessarily look to a figure and say, oh, they're Jesus, but rather I think it takes that form where this person becomes a servant, if you will, in which no matter what they do, they're carrying out this divine mandate or purpose or something like that. It seems to be the form that it takes. Right. Yeah. No, for, for sure. And and you definitely... They're I almost mean, a spokesperson for God, if you will. So... Can become that. Yeah, a specific... Per- and, and you see it too. And like, you know, a specific pastor leaves a church and the church dies or nearly dies. Right, yeah. I mean, this wasn't about Jesus and being committed to a community and being, you know, this this was about this person yeah. and being attached to them or or what have you. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So marker number two, this individual is idealized and lionized in speech and art forms uh, to the point that they are beyond critique. They are defended by their followers at all costs. Flattery and praise are the only acceptable ways to speak of them. So you have entered into a cult of personality when you are no longer able to critique your leader. You know, um, just speaking out of personal experience as a pastor, I have found that the overwhelming majority of church members <laughs> are, are, are able to critique their pastor, um, <laughs> which is healthy. It's, right. it's healthy. Yeah, 100%. I don't, don't want to be in a position where I'm beyond critique. You know, then we're venturing into cults of personality. Right. But the same thing is true for all of our political leaders. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what party you're a part of, who your leader is, you should be able to critique them. I, I was actually having a conversation with somebody earlier today, and they, I, I don't know if it was the Church Politics podcast they were listening to or whatever, but it was Justin Gibney. Mm. But I, I'm prefacing this that I didn't hear it from Justin Gibney. I heard it secondhand in case okay. in case I sure. get this wrong. Um, <laughs> but what they basically said was that Justin Gibney basically made a statement along the lines of, uh, if you can't think of six critiques of your candidate, there's a problem. Right. You know, um, and, and whether or not, you know, six is the magic number or whatever, like his point just being anytime we find ourselves like genuflecting, bowing the knee completely to an individual that this is a problem. This is problematic and we're losing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, too, if this is one of the ways that social media and the news can shape us to where anytime there's a criticism of the political candidate that we follow, we immediately get defensive because we've immersed ourselves in a medium in which there's just constant uh, polemics and criticism and hot-headed personalities on all sides. And so then when we hear someone give a criticism of whoever the uh, candidate is that we're following, we immediately... We get angry, we get riled up, and all of a sudden we're in defense mode because of what we've been entering into each day, which is a medium in which uh, it's a constant battle and fight of ideas and character attacks and what have you. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, and and we, you know, there's there's an automatic knee jerk reaction, and in, in when you get to that place, there's an automatic knee jerk reaction. To excuse, yeah. To dismiss, to rationalize, to do a whole host of things in other circumstances we would say are unhealthy, right? 
Right. You know, but you embrace all of those practices because like I, I, I can't I have so closely identified myself, my worth, my beliefs, all of these things with this person that for them to be insulted is for me to be insulted. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, there, there are relationships in which those kind of attachment and, and feelings are appropriate. But even in those relationships and instances, there's uh, a, a, a proper balance to be struck. So, for instance, yeah. you insult my wife. It is right for me <laughs> to feel insulted and, and to get defensive and these kinds of things. But there's also an, an, an unhealthy way, even in the context of a marital relationship, mm. to to become so enamored and enmeshed with another person that yeah. you're no longer even able to, you know, uh, uh, sharpen one another, you know? Right. Offer critique yeah. to one another. Be honest to one yeah, another. Yeah, be honest. Yeah. Yes, totally. So. Yeah, that's good because sometimes I feel like the language of, well, yes, they, but. And then immediately that following kind of signals that, okay, you're saying the criticism that you believe that, but are you really allowing it to have any weight? Are you really taking it seriously? It it sounds like it's being kind of dismissed. That seems to happen a lot in conversations Mm -hmm. from both sides. Which I would not tolerate someone doing if they had insulted my wife. Right. They don't get to yes, but me on that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. Yeah, I said that, but I'm like, uh uh, nope. Uh Right. (laughs) Right. No, you know, and, yeah. and so, yeah, it's, I, I just think this is a way we can notice um, what's going on like totally. in our own hearts with, with our relationship to whatever leaders we are dealing with, pastors, uh, political leaders, whatever. And I'm not talking about automatically assuming the worst of everyone. Right. right. So I'm not saying, so, so you hear a uh, critique leveled against uh, a, a person you follow, a pastor or a leader. I'm not saying, well, okay, you have to automatically assume that's true and just go, oh, yeah, that's horrible, that's terrible. But you also don't need to automatically assume it's not. Right. And just go immediately into shut down defense. But, like, there needs to be this honest assessment and this honest look. and this on- So I'll give you an example of how this was done well recently, I think. Uh, I think this was done well by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, so if listeners aren't familiar, uh, Ravi Zacharias was well-known apologist and evangelist, had a huge ministry, and it came to light in his latter years, and then it really blew up after he had died of sexual uh, abuse and scandal and all sorts of stuff. And that ministry did not go, nope, that ministry was like, we don't know. We're going to launch a full investigation. We're going to, and they did all of that. And then they came and were honest and we're like, here's the results. Here's this. And laid it all out on the table. And I'm like, that's a healthy response to that. They didn't immediately go, yeah, we're just, you know, going to say, okay, everything's true. They didn't dismiss everything or try to automatically defend. They said, we're going to take this seriously. We're gonna look into it. We're gonna. I know I'm kind of trailing and getting off track, but this yeah. is what I, this is what I'm talking about. Like like the the ability to hear, receive critiques about someone you follow, political or otherwise, properly assess them and then be honest about it. Yeah, totally. We all need to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, all right. So that was number two. Number three. Um, the uh, number three marker of cult of personality. 
is a commitment to the individual either replaces or is equated with commitment to the nation slash organization. So commitment to the individual either replaces or is equated with a commitment to the nation or organization. So for a political leader, it's if you're not committed to this individual, you don't love America. If you're not committed to this individual, you don't love the church. If you don't like, like there's, there's a, an equal sign drawn between a personality and the organization, a personality and the country. And mm-hmm. to be, to critique one is to be disloyal to the whole thing. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this happens, like we've said, it happens in uh, businesses, it happens in churches, it happens in celebrity culture. It has a massive history of happening in politics. All you got to do is look at, the, look at the Bible and look at the deification of rulers of world powers in the Bible. So whether you look at Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, like all of them, idealized, lionized, and worshipped their leaders. They deified them, in a sense, and and put them beyond the level of uh, question and critique. And modern personality cults, they're just the latest form of emperor worship. Hmm. Um, you know, it's... Because uh, it at this point, if you do these three things that we just talked about right here, you attach your hope for salvation to an individual, you lionize them and you can't critique them you can own flattery and praise are the only acceptable ways to speak of them the commitment to them is the commitment to the country or organization like you do that at that point like this is worship mm-hmm. i mean i mean that's that there's nothing else to call it at that point mm-hmm. this this is full-blown cult of personality this is this is worship mm-hmm. yeah so, I mean, like the question, I think, obviously, uh, just like we talked about last week, becomes like, how, how do we as Christians respond to this? Like, what 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 should we do if we find, uh, it's kind of like you talked about last time when we uh, were talking about political idolatry. You're like, you know, this isn't something that you hear people confess a lot. You know, I've been really been struggling with political idolatry. Like, right. same thing here. Right, yeah. And this is something that actually, I mean, especially if we take it outside the realm of politics, right. this is something I think every single one of us have struggled with. Like we can, whether we're talking a musician, uh, an athlete, a celebrity, a, a rich person, a thought leader, or whatever, like you know, yeah. a, a social media influencer. Like I think all of us have been guilty. I know I've been guilty at some point of attaching myself so much to a particular personality mm-hmm. and tying up my identity with them that they're beyond critique and I automatically defend them. And I, all of those things. College football. Right. I was college. thinking about college football. <laughs> John Mark said it. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> How much of that goes on in college football, man? It's all, all the time. Oh, man. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. So I, I think we're very susceptible to this, which brings up a really interesting conversation about why. Why, what, what drives this need for a salvific figure, mm. for a savior, for all of us to want someone that we look to like this? It's mm. almost like we're wired that way. Yeah. Um, someone to give us a sense of identity, someone to give us a future, someone to give us a guidance, a path to follow, someone to save us from our situation. It's almost like there's a story <laughs> here. Um, yeah, I mean, for real, though. Yeah. But so, so how do we as Christians, when we realize we've, we've been in the midst of this mess, 
um, how, how, how do we respond? I think we start with confession, which we talked about. Uh, we're talking about a lot in the Psalms. We talked about mm-hmm. it two weeks ago. We, we're going to talk about it uh, this Sunday as we're going through Psalm 51, which is David's great prayer of confession. Yeah. So I think we start with, we're honest. We're like, I have looked at this leader, this person, this whoever, um, in a way that's inappropriate, in a way that is unhealthy. We confess, and confession, honest confession, is followed by repentance. We repent. A repentance is is a turning. I don't need to look at anyone this way, other than Jesus, which we're going to talk about more in just a second. Mm-hmm. But we we confess, we repent, and then we do what we had been doing wrongly. We do it rightly, and that's worship. We 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 don't just confess and repent, oh, that was wrong. No, you take what you were doing in the wrong direction and do that. I, I think ultimately, you know, I kind of posed the hypothetical earlier, like, why do we all do this? Mm-hmm. I think it's ultimately because we're wired for worship. Yeah. We are created, we are made to do that. We are worshiping creatures. And and so if you just remove, you just repent, you just confess, and you don't redirect your worship, you're just going to do this again with someone else or something else, mm. you know? So your worship has got to be redirected to where it rightfully belongs, which is to the Lord Yeah, through Christ. Yeah. As you were talking, one of the things that came up was a little section in Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. And he talks about deep idols and surface idols. And so he, he says that surface idols are things like money, sex, marriage, politics and he says this is normally what we think of when we think about idolatry but he enters a different a, a new category into the conversation deep idols and deep idols are for him are uh, power approval comfort control and each generate generates in our hearts a different set of fears a different set of hopes and so I think what's interesting about what Keller says is, I might be dealing with political idolatry. You might be dealing with political idolatry. But if that's a surface idol, then we might have different deep idols. Right. So for you, it might be a longing for power. For me, it might be a longing of acceptance. Mm-hmm. It might be a longing for control. It might be a longing for comfort. And so I think that's helpful if we find ourselves getting caught up in this to pause, to stop, and to ask why am I giving my heart to this person? What is this providing? And then um, then go to Jesus, right? And to see that ultimately he's the only one who gives us on his terms these things that we so deeply desire to have. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really good and really helpful. And I, I think I, I, I think one of the issues uh, with why we turn to uh, these other places, these surface idols to fulfill our deep idols, if you will, our deep needs. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we turn is often because um, we, a believer specifically, uh, have a, an ultimate idol problem. And what I mean by that is that the God that we are worshiping, the Jesus we are worshiping, that we are looking to is not even the real Jesus or the real God. Like that's an idol in and of itself, which makes it an insufficient God, an insufficient Jesus. So we turn from it to all of these other things. 
mm-hmm. that feel much more immediate to meet our need. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the problems sometimes with talking about things like political idolatry or you know the uh, idolatry. Uh, having an idolatry of sex or power or anything. One of the things is sometimes we can get away from the root definition of what idolatry is like in its ultimate sense. And in its ultimate sense, idolatry is uh, treating something that's not God as God. Mm -hmm. Um, Treating like, like and bowing down and worshiping to that as if it is God. And we, when I say we, I mean, Western Americans, uh, Christians tend to think we're not guilty of that right we, we worship the one true God and so we when we talk about idolatry because it's talked about all over the Bible we got to find a different way to talk about it so we talk about it in terms of politics and uh, you know sports and these different kinds of things and all of that um, but ultimately and I, I think the danger in that is we begin to miss the fact that oh no this thing the same idolatry that the Israelites were guilty of that uh, that people in uh, polytheistic cultures are guilty of like that's still a danger for us still very mm-hmm. much a danger for us and and the place I would take us in scripture is to the quintessential idolatry passage uh, in Exodus where the people of God at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, craft for themselves a golden calf. And what's so interesting is that when they bow down and worship this golden calf, they do not worship it as a golden calf. They worship it as Yahweh. They say, this is the Lord. This mm-hmm. is Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And that's what we do. We take the Bible and we chunk away the things we don't like we keep the things we do, we treat the Bible like a block of wood, and we shape mm-hmm. out of it a God that we like and we're comfortable with. That's idolatry. And then we call that God, God. Right. And we raise our hands to that God and sing to that, or that Jesus, or whatever. And, and like all idolatry, what we shape and what we fashion is a God that looks like us, that cares about what we care about, that rejects what we reject. So, you know, in essence, we're just worshiping ourselves. Yes. And so, so the Jesus that we're worshiping is a Jesus that's pleased with the person that we're following, bowing down to, worshiping. Yes. Right. Yes. Yep. Would affirm yep. and be... Jesus uh, is behind what I'm doing. I'm doing this ultimately for him. Right. 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 Absolutely. Yep. Which is why. So, so when we realize we're in this position, we confess, we repent, and then we turn, we redirect our worship, and we redirect our worship to God, to Christ, but we must make sure it is Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. It is the God of the scriptures. It is not a God or a Christ of our own making and mm-hmm. our own fashioning. So we worship in accordance with and through the word of God. Um, so we come back to the word and we worship. And then the the final thing I was going to say as far as how we respond, we confess, we repent, we worship. Then our worship becomes witness. So instead of witnessing to the world about our favorite political leader or our favorite celebrity, social media influencer or whatever, which is fine to talk about people you prefer and leaders you prefer and follow, but like who would people think you worship if they took a poll of who you witnessed about the most? (laughs) You know, would they think you worship a political leader or an author or whatever? Would they think you worship Jesus? You know, um, and our, when we redirect our worship rightly to Jesus, our worship in and of itself becomes a witness to the world of who we believe Jesus to be. Mm-hmm. Which really brings mm-hmm. us to the last thing I wanted to talk about in all of this. 
and that is as we talk about a cult of personality uh, and we talk about not worshiping a person but worshiping Jesus, like how how is Jesus different from everything we've already listed? Like how are we not just how is how is this whole thing Christianity whatever how is it not a cult? How is it not a cult of personality? You know, don't we like uh, you know look at Jesus as the Savior of the world? Um, you know, and the hope. Don't we like lionize and idealize him? He's like sinless, and you know he's got halos around his head and art and perfectly beautiful blonde hair and all of that. And uh, and and the only acceptable way to speak of him is with flattery and. Uh, don't uh, isn't your commitment to Jesus your commitment to Christianity like John like it checks all the boxes yeah <laughs> for cult of personality um and I would say no <laughs> no it doesn't Jesus is utterly and starkly different and this is how number one yes we look to him for salvation a salvation that comes not through power but through weakness. Cults of personalities are surrounded around power and a personality that will bring salvation via power. Uh, But the cross is weakness. And it's not just weakness, it's foolishness, which takes us to number two. The individual is idealized and lionized. We idealize our Jesus by talking about how foolish salvation is. He is a crucified Messiah. He is shamed. He's put on a cross. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's bruised. Like, this is the opposite of what people do in a cult of personality. We confess the gospel, which is weakness to the world, and it's foolishness to the world. It's the opposite of what they look for in a cult of personality. Uh, What makes Jesus so beautiful and glorious to us is that, yes, we do believe he has majesty, but it's majesty. This is actually John Piper's phrase when he talks about the glory of Jesus. He'll talk about it as majesty in meekness. Mm-hmm. It's this odd, nearly feeling like they're opposite, like the, this combination of, of traits. Um, we, we talked about earlier how when you're dealing with a cult of personality, followers uh, will violently defend their, their leader, and kill for them. Jesus specifically rebukes his followers anytime they attempt to take up arms. He said, no, you don't. Um, you don't take up arms and take life. You lay down your life. Hmm. Uh, cults of personalities exploit their followers for their own personal gain. Jesus doesn't exploit his followers. He was exploited for his followers. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, it is. It could not be more stark. The the contrast, and then thirdly and finally, um, yes, we have a commitment, uh, strictly and solely to Jesus, um, but not because of his personality, but because of his person. In other words, because of the resurrection. So Jesus has made a claim that he has subsequently proven. And his claim is to be God in the flesh. And he has proven this via the resurrection. Like, it, it, this this isn't about a, a personality. It's about the person of Christ who is God and has shown himself to be. Mm-hmm. So it, Jesus c- 
could not be more incredibly different um, than what we see uh, when we're talking about a cult of personality. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Maybe just one last question as we conclude. Jonathan, what would you say to someone who has a friend or maybe a relative, someone close to them, and they see some of these things that we've talked about, they see some of these traits, and when they have conversations, some of the things we talk about kind of come to the forefront, right? And uh, they want to help. They want to talk to them, but they don't know how. They don't know what to say. What ad- what advice would you would you give? Pray. I mean, that's where I'd start. I mean, uh, you know, and we kind of like, you know, we, we shrug at that sometimes. But honestly, one of the things that's interesting, we talk about like the reason the terminology cult of personality is used is because these things do echo the characteristics of cults. And one of the most interesting things you can do, like I, I'm really fascinated by documentaries about cults. Like we've watched documentaries about cults together, all of those kinds of things. So many documentaries. So many documentaries. <laughs> um, but one of the most fascinating things when you watch a documentary about a cult is to listen to the family members of people who are in the cult, like family members that are outside, talk about like ha- trying to get their family member out. Mm-hmm. And the way they talk very much parallels exactly what you were just mentioning. Like when you have someone who is caught up in a cult of personality, like in a family members trying to open their eyes to it, it's very similar. It shares a lot of those same characteristics as the family member of a cult uh, member trying trying to get them out, you know. And and one of the things you discover as you watch, you know, these family members who who have people they love trapped inside of a cult, uh, is is you see how hard it is, mm-hmm. how much deception there is, how deeply their identity is tied into it. Like, like I guess uh, an analogy here is you're not, it's not as simple as um, as as like fixing a, a surface level wound, like we're dealing with a cancer, like like this is deeply ingrained and it's metastasized. It's all over the body. Like like yeah, like people, their identity, their heart, and all of that gets tied up in this. Mm-hmm. So, um, I in my own experience, um, I would say you've got to start with prayer. Um, you've got to start with prayer and ask the Lord. Be on your knees. Go to the Psalter. Mm. Pray some of these prayers out of the Psalter. Ask the Lord to do what he alone can do uh, and to use you in any way that he can. Um, the second is you've got to display something different. And what I mean by that is when you have these conversations, your tone has got to be different. Um. Then, then they're like you can't be as aggressive, as defensive, as inflammatory as all because all mm. you're going to be doing is self-confirming that person's narrative, mm. and that could be tempting. Yes, and 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 what they see in you, they're going to be like everything you're critiquing in me, like I see in you right now. You know, like yeah. you've got to come spirit empowered with speech seasoned with salt, with compassion and with love, with all of those things. Um, so I think you start with prayer. I think you come with compassion, and then you stay with consistency. In, in other words, like I think, especially in our cultural climate, the the temptation is to throw up our hands and give up on people 
and mm. on things and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to retreat to my side. You retreat to your side. Right. I think, no, like l- love stays, love pursues, love sacrifices. itself. like, I, I think you've got to stay with consistency. Um, you know, loving this, per- like they, they have to see your goal is not to merely like try to get them to agree with you. Right. Like trying to goal, win an argument. Yeah. Your goal to is, right. is to love them well. Um, and typically they are, we are all influenced by the most consistent presences in our life. That's true. And so if, if you abandon them, like they lose a consistent presence, you know, Mm -hmm. um, of something different. It it only reinforces their, their echo chamber. Now we could obviously get into the really big specifics of various, relationships there's nuances and all of these things like you can be in the midst of a relationship that is really bad toxic unhealthy and that person's actually being abusive towards you and I'm not saying stay stay right. like like there are 101 different scenarios we could talk about here right but what i'm saying is when you're engaging someone you love family member whatever and you're able to like like when you're able to stay and be a consistent presence do so yeah. so yeah it's that, good that's that's kind of the the thoughts that come to mind yeah well, anybody got anything else? I'm done. I've said everything I wanted to no, say. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up. This has been a... I know that both of you have to repent now of having a cult of personality relationship with me. You know, <laughs> just, John Mark, that picture you put up of me in your office with that halo. Yeah, I should probably take gonna that down. It's going to have to come down. So I'm going to get y'all t-shirts made. Not looking made good right now. Yeah, mine, need so. to do some uh, self-reflection. Mm-hmm. But but we hope you we hope you've enjoyed the conversation and if you have any questions or any thoughts come to mind feel free to send us an email yeah. midweek at shadesvalley.org as always we want you to enter into the conversation I said that like that was a tagline that we said right. <laughs> maybe we could come up with something we want to hear your thoughts as always anyway we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening though this has been another episode of 